Welcome. Good morning. Glad to see y'all here today. Um, a couple of days ago, I was driving through a neighborhood close to uh, our house, and I saw this sitting out in the front yard. Be kind. Uh, those people have no idea their house is in our PowerPoint today. I saw it and I said, I need to take a picture of that because that's what I'm talking about on Sunday morning today. We're talking about kindness. Now, do you remember what Jesus said was the greatest commandment? You remember the greatest commandment? That was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That was the greatest commandment that there was. But there was a second commandment that was like it. It was similar to the first commandment. And that second commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think that's really key and pivotal as we talk about our subject today, the subject of kindness. Now the first thought I had when I was putting this lesson together is I thought, okay, well obviously we all need to be kind, right? Was Jesus kind? Yes, most of the time, some of the time. I mean, he did some things that we wouldn't ordinarily classify as kind, right? Remember he took a, some cords and made a whip and chased people out of the temple with it? We wouldn't necessarily classify that as kind, would we? Or the things he said in Matthew 23 to the Pharisees? Sounds pretty harsh. Was Jesus kind? You know, something that Jesus did that... When I, when I was younger, I remember noticing this when I was in college, and it was, it was strange to me. I didn't understand why I did it. In the book of Matthew, we find a story in Matthew 8 of Jesus healing a guy who was a leper. This guy had leprosy. It was a terrible, terrible disease. And it was an uncurable disease. And Jesus healed him. And then Jesus did something really, really weird. Jesus healed this guy, and then he said, See that you tell no one, but go your way. Why would he heal somebody and then say, Don't tell anyone, I did this for you? In another passage, in Matthew 9, he heals the eyes of two blind guys. These guys can't see. And Jesus heals them. And you know what he tells them? He says, and their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. Why would Jesus do that? I mean, why would Jesus do a miracle, heal somebody, and then say, Don't go tell anyone, Kent? Like I healed you of whatever was wrong with you. He said, Don't tell anybody. That'd be weird. Why would that be the case? Well, I think we find the answer in Scripture as we do many, many times in John chapter 7. You see that in John chapter 7, Jesus had done some works there locally, and the Bible tells us that His brothers, and Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. His brothers didn't believe in Him. They didn't believe He was the Son of God. And they said, you're going to do these miracles. Go out and do them where everyone can see. Just go do the miracles in public so your disciples can follow you. And Jesus' answer to them was, my time has not yet come. Now what He meant by that was this. 
You know, when he was first born, you remember Herod tried to kill him? And his dad had to run to Egypt to save his life. And Herod killed all the babies that were born around the time of Jesus in that town of Bethlehem. Okay? Herod hunted Jesus. Now, Herod had died, but his son's ruling now. And his son, do you think he would for one minute stand by if the little baby that was born to be king was running around doing some miracles? He'd be doing everything in the world he could to stop him. So Jesus knew that at that moment, and it wasn't just with miracles. I mean, when at the transfiguration, when they came down, He said, don't tell anyone what you've seen. When Peter stood up and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, He said, don't go tell people that yet, because it wasn't yet time for that stuff to be known. Okay? So that brings up another question to me. If you don't want people to know you're the Messiah... And if you go around healing people and people find out everybody's going to know, then just don't heal people, right? I mean, just wait and heal people later. Because if I heal Kent and I tell him don't tell, we know sometimes they went and told anyway, I know it's going to be hard to keep that under wraps, right? Why would Jesus go ahead and heal people even when He knew it would push forward the time. Even when he knew they might not be quiet. Why would he do that? I believe the answer to that question is pivotal to our study today. The answer to that question is found here. Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be cleansed. Now this is that leper. Jesus cleansed him. That leper said, if you will, you can cleanse me of my leprosy. And Jesus, the Bible says, was moved with compassion. You know what that means? Love your neighbors yourself. That's what that means. It means He cared about that guy. His heart went out to that guy. You know, when Carrie and I first got married, I am... Not a big believer personally in giving money to someone who calls on the phone and says, Hi, we're with this and raising money for yada, yada, yada. Okay? I prefer to give money through the church. Um, but we got a card in the mail. And this card had a picture of a wounded veteran. And it just, it just got to me. And I sent money to them because of the compassion that was raised in my heart. Now, there are other times I've seen people who are in need and I didn't have any compassion toward them. You know what I mean? You kind of feel like, well, you know, you shouldn't have done what you did and you wouldn't be in this spot, right? Jesus was the kind of man, when He saw other people, He was filled with compassion for those other people. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and He healed their sick. Jesus didn't just do these miracles to prove He was the Son of God. I mean, that was the fundamental overriding purpose for Him, but you know, Jesus cared about the people who were sick. He cared about the people who were hurting. He was moved with compassion toward people. Now the truth is, God wants you and I to be the same.
So when we talk about kindness, we all kind of have an idea. In the Bible, what does the word kindness mean? This spirit of kindness that you and I are supposed to have. Well, one word is gentleness. You know, in fact, a lot of translations translate the word kindness here as gentleness. Now, you know what gentleness is, don't you? Gentleness is not being harsh. It's not being rough. It's being easy, being careful, taking care with whatever it is you're dealing with or you're handling. Something that's fragile. You know, when you mail a package, sometimes if it's fragile, you put fragile on it so that they won't tear it up, so they'll be easier, careful. Theoretically, they're not always careful with those packages. But we do that so they'll know to be gentle with it. We're gentle with our children. I look around here and I see some mamas holding little ones. You're gentle with those little ones, aren't you? You're careful with them. They're fragile. They matter. Kindness is gentleness. Kindness is having or showing a friendly, generous, sympathetic, or warm-hearted nature. Now some people are by nature kind and some people are by nature not kind. Okay? But when the Bible talks about us being kind, this is a definition of that Greek word. Having or showing a friendly, generous, sympathetic, warm-hearted nature. It's the kind of person that rejoices in another person's good. You want good to happen for this other person. When you're moved with compassion for someone, you want good for them, don't you? You don't want bad. You want good for them. And you rejoice in that when good happens for them. That's what kindness is. Kindness isn't setting everybody straight. Kindness is wanting good for everyone around you. Now, sometimes that may include a need to set someone straight like Jesus had to do at times. But it's a desire for the good of the people around you. Now, how does that show up in our lives? How do we exhibit that? The Bible has several different places we want to talk about here. One is Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman. It says she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Is the law of kindness on your tongue? I mean, when you speak, do you speak with kindness or do you speak with harshness? You speak with short, cut people off, don't let... Or do you speak kind, gently, when you talk to people? Do you make jokes at other people's expense? Just to be funny? And they go, oh, I was just joking. Get over it. It's just a joke. Come on. Do you put other people down with your words? Do you talk to your spouse or your children like they're stupid? in a tone of voice that says, you are so dumb. How could you ever think something like that? How could you not know better than that? How do you talk to the people around you? Talk to your husband or wife kind and gentle? Or do you talk belittling? Make them feel dumb? Make them feel useless or worthless? You know, I'm, I'm not speaking 
everybody jokes about the fact that the elders assigned the topic to them that they got assigned to because they were the ones who needed that. And there may be some truth in that, I don't know. That's one I've struggled with a lot. If I get irritated, and I talk to especially my wife or my kids, I'll talk in a tone of voice that says, you're stupid. I've done that, and I'm ashamed of it. I'm not proud of it. That's been a struggle for me. That's not the way God's people are. God's people are the kind of people who you want to go to with your problems. You want to go ask them for help. You want to go tell them your burdens because they're not going to put you down and belittle you and run you down over that. They're going to build you up and encourage you. They're going to give you strength. They're going to help you. Sometimes they'll tell you unpleasant truths, but it's always done in a way of love. It's not done in a way of putting you in your place. So how do you speak? Do you have the law of kindness on your tongue? Paul said, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. That word gentle is the same word that's translated kindness here. Are you gentle to people who disagree with you? This is talking about the folks who disagree with us. Okay? This is talking about the people who have the uh, California morality. Okay? People who don't look at the world the way we look at the world. How do you talk to those people? Do you talk to them in kindness and gentleness or do you talk to them like they're idiots? When you talk to someone about masks and vaccines that they see it different than you do, how do you talk? Do you talk respectfully and kind and gentle to them? Or do you let them know what kind of idiots they are? You know, there's no place for that among God's people. You know where I see this as much as anywhere else? And I don't look at it very often because it bothers me so bad. That's in Facebook and Instagram posts and stuff like that. People, some, for some reason, think it's fine to be hateful and rude to people who disagree with them. In this passage here, Paul tells Timothy, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Being quarrelsome is bad. You should not be quarrelsome. It's not, well, that's just my personality. It may be your personality, but it needs to change. Don't be quarrelsome. Be gentle to all. Able to teach patient in humility. That's what God has called all of the servants of His to be. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. He says you need to be kind and he equates that to forgiveness. He says you need to be kind, tender-hearted and forgiving. Are you quick to forgive? That's part of kindness. In fact, I tell you, I don't know that there's any greater kindness than forgiving someone who doesn't deserve forgiveness. That's a great, great kindness. God's people are the kind of people who are quick to forgive. Because why? Because we love them as ourselves. Do you want to be forgiven? I know you've deserved it, haven't you? 
I mean, I say deserved it. I said that wrong. You have, you've needed it. That's the term I meant to say. You've needed forgiveness, haven't you? You've done things that were wrong to other people, haven't you? Do you want forgiveness? If we love others as ourselves, do you think they want forgiveness? Do you think they need forgiveness? God calls them to forgiveness. That's His desire. That's His call. That's His direction to you and I is to be kind and tender-hearted and forgive. You know, Jesus talked about it this way when He was explaining it to His disciples. He said, but love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Jesus said we're to love our, even our enemies, which is a specifically Christian kind of thing to do. The world doesn't love their enemies. The world loves their friends. He says, you love your enemies. And He said, if you do that, you can be like God because He is kind. But notice who He's kind to. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He's kind to bad people. He's kind to people who are ungrateful for His kindness. Now, I'll, I'll tell you again, this, that's a hard one for me. I go into a racetrack or a QT and I'm coming out and I hold the door for someone and they just walk right on through and don't even acknowledge it. I want to go, you're welcome. <laughs> right? Why? If I stop and let you walk across in front of me in the Walmart parking lot, I'd appreciate a nod or, a, or this, or at least walk a little faster. <laughs> right? God is kind to the ungrateful. Are you kind to people who are ungrateful? People you know are going to be ungrateful when you go to be kind to them? It's the way God is. To the ungrateful and even to the evil. I saw a newsfeed article yesterday about some guy, it was some cops, and they pulled over people, and this guy jumped out of the car with a gun. I mean, it was like a machine gun. He shot like 61 shots in just a few seconds. And these cops, uh, one of them was shot, and the other one ran around behind the car and all, and it was the body cam footage. And this one cop reloaded his gun and he, he shot the other guy and he had him down and he just bang, 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 bang. I mean, shot him like five or six times. And they then showed the commander of the officers who was talking about it and he said, you know what? That guy got what he deserved. He jumped out of a car with a gun and shot at cops and listen I don't know what you think about all of that and I'm not talking really about the legal ramifications of it but I am saying this that we have a tendency in America probably all over the world to think when people mess up and they suffer for it well they got what they deserved and sometimes we feel like we need to be the ones to let them know what they deserve and I want you to know, God did not put you and I in that place. God is kind 
I'm not saying let people get away with, with crime like that. I'm not, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't be punished, and I'm not saying the government shouldn't use force to punish. But what I am saying is as a Christian, if I'm going to be like God, I'm going to be kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. You know, this passage we're studying right now, we're in the middle of a series and we talked about the works of the flesh and we talked about the, we're talking now about the fruit of the Spirit. And you know, in this passage over here, you've got the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness is the one we're talking about, but we've got this whole list here. Over here, we've gone through the works of the flesh and these are all things that are listed in the works of the flesh. And his whole point in this context is that these are opposite ways of living. You can't live both ways. You've got to live one way or the other. You look at this, and he said, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. He says you can't do both. You can't have this and this. You can't grab sexual immorality and drag it over here and be loved, joy, peace, patient, and sexual immorality. It doesn't work that way. They're enemies of one another. Now this, it calls it the works of the flesh. What that means is this is the stuff that the flesh produces. That's what the flesh produces. And when we say the flesh in the Bible, he's talking about your mind, your will, and your emotions. And they produce that. On the flip side, there's the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit produces these things in our life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Now, which of these lists describes you best? Which one of those is the best description of you? That's what this whole series has been about, looking at each one of these and how God says to avoid them. And now we're looking at each one of these and how God says to be that. This is what God has called us to. And so when you and I are making our choices to live our lives, God is calling us to that, not to this other. But the question when you say this, you talk, well, that's the fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? I mean, how does the Spirit produce fruit in you and I? You'll get all kinds of answers about that. Some that is, ooh, there's this mystical thing behind the scenes. Other people go, no, you just grit your teeth and stomp your feet and stiffen your back and you do it. Well, I don't think the truth is either one of those. You know, being patient, for instance, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, patience. Have you ever been impatient? Okay. Have you ever decided, I'm not going to be that way anymore? And you grit your teeth and you stomp your feet and you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Do you do it? <laughs> Gritting your teeth, you can't beat, yeah, you can make some progress a little bit, but you can't beat sins of the flesh with the flesh. You can't do that. The flesh just produces this stuff. It's a spiritual battle, a battle. Look at this. He says, the works of the flesh are these, the fruit of the Spirit is this. In Galatians chapter 5 that we're looking at, there's a parallel passage that gives us a little bit of insight into this. Another passage that Paul wrote to another church, 
And he said almost exactly the same things, but he words it a little different. Look at this. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, blah, blah, blah. He gives that whole list. And therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, and that whole list. So Paul in one place says, this is the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. In the other place, he gives the same list and says, you put off this, you put this to death, and you put on this. So there's something that you and I need to do to be involved in changing and not being like the works of the flesh, but instead being like the Spirit, the fruit that the Spirit produces. So how do we do that? Well, Paul, the guy who wrote this, talked about this in a lot of his letters. That shouldn't surprise you. In Romans chapter 12, he said this, don't be conformed to this world. What did he say? Let's go back. What did he say? Put to death your members which are on the earth, on this world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That means different from this world by the renewing of your mind. That word transforms like a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. You were like this, but now you're going to be different. You can be different. You can be kind. But how do we do that? Well, you do that, he says, by the renewing of your mind. Look at this passage from Paul. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, to pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know what? I was talking to you earlier. I said that I've had a, a struggle in my life not talking in a rude or condescending or hateful way sometimes. You know why I talk that way? Because I'm irritated. Right? I'm irritated. It's in my heart first. And then it comes out. I'm thinking irritated thoughts. I'm thinking, come on. This is simple. Can you not figure this out? I'm thinking things like that. Maybe not those exact words, but things like that. And that comes out in the tone of voice that I use when I'm talking to someone. He says we're to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. You're to think the things that God tells you to think. You're responsible for how you use your brain just like how you use your hands and how you use your eyes and how you use your feet. You are responsible to God for how you use your brain. What you think about. Now, we're in the middle of sports season right now, aren't we, Jeremy? Okay? You can think about sports a little bit or you can think about sports all the time. I know some people think about sports all the time. I mean, every week, that's what they want to think about all the time. Is there anything wrong with sports? Jeremy said... <laughs> I tease him because of his sports illustrations. Okay? Nothing wrong with sports unless that's what I'm thinking about all the time. I'm not taking my thoughts captive for Christ. I'm not thinking what Christ wants me to think. Now, sports is an easy illustration because we, a lot of us like sports. But when it comes to dealing with other people, you choose what you think. 
you choose to think good or bad toward other people. You choose to think highly of them. You might say, well, I think highly because of what they've done. Or I think bad because of what they've done. But you still choose. Every person, every human being has good and bad in them, right? Did you know even Hitler had friends? Can you believe that? He did. He had friends. People that liked him and hung out with him because he was kind and nice to them. Every human being has good and bad. Now you can focus on the bad. You can focus on the stuff that frustrates you. You can focus on the stuff that you don't like. And you're going to feel bad, frustrated, and not like that person. Or you can look at the good and the positive and things you do like about them. It's your choice. Take your thoughts captive for Jesus Christ. And then we've got this. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. This is a picture of a grafted tree. And the idea is this. I take my thoughts and I cut them off and I graft in place of my thoughts the thoughts of God. How do you do that? We read your Bible. You memorize and meditate on God's Word. You know, this does not happen if you hear two sermons a week and then go about your life. It won't happen that way. You choose to fill your mind with the thoughts of God. Now, I know you've got to work and you've got things going on in your life, but when you have time to let your mind wonder, does it ever go to God in His Word? Take it to God and His Word. Think about, memorize, and meditate on the things of God. I remember a couple of years ago, Yancey talking about being frustrated one morning and changing the radio station. You remember that, Yancey? Changing the radio station to a Christian station and listening to songs of praise about God. You know what? Your attitude will be totally different if you'll do that than if you watch CNN or Fox News in the morning. Your attitude for the whole day will be totally different because of what you're filling your mind with. When you start your day, do you ever pick up your Bible and look at the Word of God and think about that? That's the way you change. That's the way you renew your mind by putting God's thoughts in place of your thoughts because His thoughts are right. And I replace my thoughts with His thoughts and you know... When I do that, what happens is I begin to think about people the way God thinks about people instead of the way I think about them. And I begin to look at my problems the way God looks at my problems instead of the way I look at my problems. And that changes the way I see things and it changes what I do. And all of a sudden, it's not hard for me to be kind to people because I love them. Because God loves them. So you see, we take these three things, renewing our mind, taking our thoughts captive, and implanting God's Word, and we fill our mind with the thoughts and words of Jesus Christ. And this is true not just on kindness, but on love and peace and all the other things we're going to talk about. This is the way you do that. So if you look at your life and you go, you know what, I'm not as kind as I should be. I don't express the kindness of God to my wife or my son or my, my employees or my boss or the 
guy who cut me off in traffic. I don't express the kindness of God the way I should. What do you do about that? Well, you find the passages in Scripture that talk about kindness and you memorize those and you meditate on those and you begin to think about being that type of person. And as my wife gave me an illustration years ago, she said, the Holy Spirit's the mechanic. Your life is the broken car and the Word of God are the tools He uses to fix you. I believe that's a real good illustration. I've got a problem in my life. I memorize and meditate on the Word of God which puts it in me and the Holy Spirit uses that to change me to be like Jesus Christ. And it's the fruit or the produce of the Spirit in my life. Real quickly, I want to give you some examples of kind deeds. We all know what kindness is, but I want to show you just some pictures. Kindness may be helping someone who can't help themselves. You know, that lady, she can't move that wheelchair and hold that umbrella. And that guy's got it over her instead of over him. He didn't have to do that. But that's kindness. Sometimes it's helping someone with something they could do themselves, but it's really difficult. This young lady might be able to finish the race, but not near like she can with the help of her friend or her opponent, as it is in this case. Sometimes it's giving up something that is of value to you for someone else who doesn't have what it is that you have. You know, this little boy is giving his toys to the donation box. You always give away just what you don't need. Give away just what's left over. Kindness is giving away what I do need. Giving away what I do have for someone who doesn't. Kindness sometimes is keeping your mouth shut. <laughs> sometimes it's not saying what you're thinking. It's not expressing how you feel when someone else has done something that's knuckle-headed. You just keep your mouth shut about it. Sometimes it's doing something like delivering food or helping with a project around the house that someone else needs help. We've been helped tremendously during the time, of, time that Jacob's in the hospital. Lots of people have done these kinds of things for us. Sometimes it's helping with community projects that don't have a specific address to an individual. Sometimes it's taking and making time out of your busy life to talk to somebody about the Word of God, to teach them about God's Word. It's saying, you know what, I've got a lot to do, but instead of doing that stuff, I'm going to take some time and talk to you and teach you about God and how God would have you be what God's done for you, how God has blessed you in your life, what God has for you. Sometimes it's visiting someone in the hospital or the nursing home who is shut in. Tell you what, when you, Carrie and I were on the other side of this than we've ever been before with this deal with Jacob, and it matters. It matters that people take time to come visit. Sometimes it's sending a card to someone. I can't count the cards, hundreds and hundreds of cards that Jacob has received from people who cared about him. 
Sometimes nowadays in our world, it may not be a card, it may just be a text. Somebody sends you a text every day and go, hey, I'm thinking about you. Hope things are going well. Hey, look at this meme, it's funny. Or whatever, just noticing and thinking about someone and what they need. Sometimes it's letting someone cry on your shoulder when they've just had a bad day. They've got problems that are weighing on them. Sometimes it's confronting a friend who needs confronted. Sometimes you have to have a serious talk with someone. And you'll stand there and you'll talk to them and you go, dude, I, I love you and you're going to destroy your marriage if this doesn't stop. And you've got to tell people in love that something needs to change. You know, all these can be acts of kindness. But everything I've put up here, all of these pictures can be done without any kindness at all. Paul said this, if I give away all I have and deliver my body up to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Just like offering water out of an empty dry. Have you ever asked someone for help and they helped you but they let you know they didn't appreciate having to help? Has that ever happened? I see a lot of you going, yeah, I remember that. Have you ever been that way? You know, you can do the checkbox thing and yes, I'm going to do that. Yes, I'll do it. It's my duty to send a card. Or what. And you can do that without love and it, it, that's not kindness. That's not kindness. Kindness is I love you and you need this or at least I think you need this and so I'm going to try to do this for you. That's what kindness is. Kindness is that motivation of love. Do you know why God sent Jesus? God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. God didn't send Jesus out of a mere transaction, a business deal, well, we've got to save Him, so this is how we'll do it. That wasn't it. God loves you. And when you respond to people with love, your kindness will be like that, that fresh, cold drink of water that someone needs on a hot day. It blesses people. And so my message to you today is this. You need to be kind. And that should come from your love for other people. This is really a sermon about the second greatest commandment. It's a sermon about how if you love people, you'll want to treat them right. You'll want to do good for them. You'll want to sacrifice for and serve other people. Instead of being annoyed and frustrated and irritated that you have to do it, but you go ahead and do it anyway. Those are very different things. So what I call you to today is this. Examine your heart. And if you see a lack of kindness, I mean genuine kindness, then start changing the way that you think. And you do that by reading and memorizing God's Word. If specifically it's kindness, get you a, you can Google it even, or the Bible apps, uh, Bible Gateway, or version. You just type in the word kindness, and it'll show you lots of verses about kindness. And start memorizing those. Think about them. Think about what they mean. Think about what they're requiring of us. Think about how they say to do it. 
And if you'll start doing that, if you'll do that for a few weeks, you'll be a different person. It'll change you. You'll be kind. And that's going to be true of all of these things that we cover as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I hope you've been encouraged to be kind today. And I want to encourage you to leave here and, and really begin to show that. Think about that today and tomorrow. If you have a spiritual need, we always offer a song of invitation. If you want to bring something before the church, come to the front while we stand and sing.